Mother Russia, October hunt you, and this, of course, is the pick. <laughs> uh, we, we are your hosts, John Otney, Colin Westman, and Sean Levy. You guys remember Yakov Smirnov? I don't, because I'm not quite old enough. But you like know of him, right? We I all know, know of him, him but mm-hmm. um, you know, we, we don't. We didn't experience the pre. I don't know Berlin Wall coming down. Yeah, times. But yeah, famous. We know Russia. We don't know the Soviet Union. <laughs> famous Russian comedian. Famous around this time period. A little earlier than the movie that we're going to be talking about. Um, but yeah, I think he's like got a steady gig in like Branson, Missouri now. Like he plays like six nights a week. He's doing fine. Good for him. He could have been in this now, movie. Is is Yakov Shmirov, uh like a Larry the Cable guy type thing where? Like, we're going to find out that he's actually some American guy who's just changed his name and is doing a voice. No, he's, he's Russian. He's Russian. From he's from the, the Soviet, Soviet Union. He is. Union, yeah. Because, yeah, yeah I, that would be my first guess. To be like, this guy's full of shit. Larry the Cable Guy, shit. If you guys don't know Larry the Cable Guy, he's from Florida, but he does not have a southern accent. It's all an act. It's all been a pack of lies. Um, but yeah, I brought up Yakov Shmirnov because he is a famous Russian comedian from the late 80s, early 90s, and we watched uh, The Hunt for October, which is a famous book from the 80s and, of course, a famous movie from 1990 uh, written by uh, – the book was written by Tom Clancy, movie directed by John McTiernan. This March is the 30th anniversary, so we're going to talk about that in just a little bit. But first, we're going to do our Lil Picks. Uh, this is where we recommend, you know, books, video games, TV shows, anything we're checking out lately. Colin picked Little Rubber Duckies that look like celebrities recently. Really enjoyed that. I can't wait to see what toy you pick this week. <laughs> what toy can I pick? <laughs> it doesn't have to be a current toy. It can be just like a standard classic. You know. Mm, I could recommend that friends uh, lego set that sean got me for christmas <laughs> yeah, i mean yeah. i built it like two months ago but I but really like, like it. in the enjoyment it's, of legos isn't just building it right it's having it around yeah it's like i'm i'm staring at it right now it's in my my dining room and is it sparking it's joy it's sparking a lot of joy that's good. especially because it's like we're in this time of, of quarantining and just hunkering down in our homes. And I, you know, I just really wish I could spend some time with my friends. But unfortunately, <laughs> friends isn't on Netflix anymore. So the best thing I have is this friends Lego set. Maybe that's my pick, guys. <laughs> I really like, I, I, I just want to get this part of the show out of the way because we recorded this earlier in the week and it didn't go so hot we had technical problems yeah uh, yeah let's just let's just get through these things. all right is that your pick then lego set sure why why the hell not <laughs> all right and my pick will be different too guys i watched the thing last night because that has like people being suspicious of other people being infected by <laughs> things 
mm-hmm. that's always fun. I watched that cool Shout Factory uh, copy. I have two copies, one on Steelbook, one on not Steelbook. They're the same exact thing, but uh, it's a great transfer, <laughs> 4K. Uh, and I think my takeaway from like my, my 20th viewing of the thing is I really like the scene where Wilford Brimley is on his computer this computer that can like predict every outcome in the world apparently where he's running simulations mm-hmm. and there's that one part where it's like probability that one or more of the uh, crew members are infected 75 percent and that just like rouse my bones it freaks me out dude but then like he asked the computer like chance of um like like what will happen if uh, this hits a civilized area and it's like whole world will be infected within twenty-seven thousand hours and i'm like wow this computer is like pretty good it knows everything but uh it's a cool scene it's a creepy movie great cast love it uh nice nice watch from these troubled times of paranoia uh the thing always a classic check it out sean what's your little pick uh i'm just trying to calculate real quick how long twenty-seven thousand hours is. <laughs> that's what i was just thinking. but it's like so vague it's like to a civilized area it's like well like what like it just gets to one town and then all right there you go twenty-seven thousand hours from now we're all done for so it looks like a little more than three years, twenty-seven thousand hours. So it takes some time, but still, like that's all it takes for everyone in the world to be infected, <laughs> except for other guys in not civilized areas, I guess. Ugh, the waiting's the hardest part, though. You, like you know, like you know, it's happening. Like, I'm can, a... can you imagine if someone told you coronavirus is going to last three years? <sighs> I can't imagine that. I mean, it's also a lot more rough than coronavirus because it's not like you get it and you're just going to like wither away and die. It's like you become a killing alien machine. Then you just like go after people and you know that all these other aliens are going to come after you. It messes up your guts. (laughs) And it messes up your guts. It does a lot of weird stuff to you. It's gross. A little unexplainable, but very terrifying. Okay, Sean, your little pick. Yeah, my I was my my. I guess the I'll be the only one to keep his old little pick from last time. It's the YouTube series, the earliest show, starring Ben Schwartz and Lauren Lapkus as uh, morning talk show hosts. One of whom proposes to his girlfriend live on air at the end of the first episode. And then spirals through the stages of grief uh, through the remaining episodes of the series. It's a fun pick-me-up you can watch on YouTube uh, with, with, I think, two of the funniest improvisers. uh, As well as a great uh, supporting cast uh, and some fun celebrity interviews as well. So check it out. It was made by Funny or Die, so you know it's alright. Awesome. Alright, those are a little things. It wasn't on CISO. I asked you this last time we recorded. <laughs> Did we ever get to the bottom of I, this? I couldn't find any CISO connection. Okay. I didn't look very hard, but... It's just got a got a big CISO vibe to it. Strong CISO vibes. What was your favorite CISO project, Colin? I didn't watch any. Because I never got CISO. Sorry. That's CISO why I came failed. in pretty hot. They had the UCB show, that was fun. Bajillion Dollar Properties, My Brother, My Brother and Me, Hidden America, uh, Take My Wife, Harmon Quest. There was like a, a ton of great shows for uh, 
you know, when you compare it to like CBS All Access, it's just like it's just the new Star Trek show that like half the people who watch it hate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but CB- CBS got the clout. Sure, the Big Bang Theory clout. Hell yeah, man! They got young Sheldon. They got money to burn. Are they ever gonna do old Sheldon? I'm tired of us making jokes about old Sheldon. <laughs> That's because we've been waiting for so long. And when are they actually going to like take some action on it? I think you have to take some action on it. All right. On the next podcast, I'll be doing a live script reading of my pilot for <laughs> old Sheldon. Did we decide that old Sheldon is Alan Alda? Have we talked about yeah, this? That, yeah, I think that was the casting I, <laughs> I settled on. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, he's getting pretty old. Though. He's yeah. He's we gotta hurry up. <laughs> <laughs> Hard to build a show around him. I'm always nervous when like a sitcom stars an old person. Like was it like like Judd Hirsch? He was like in that Superior Donuts show. And I was like, yeah. but hey, the show's already canceled. He's still alive. He came out on top. He was in Uncut Gems. <laughs> Patrick Stewart is 79. Fuck, he, he seems so much younger. He's like hella youthful for an old man. Mass respect. Another guy who doesn't seem as old as he is is Sean Connery. He's always had, like, he's always seemed kind of old, but he's always been, like, he's always seemed strong, you know? He never felt frail or anything, even though he's had white hair for so long. Uh, so let's talk about him in The Hunt for Red October. But first, let's talk a little bit about the origin of The Hunt for Red October, and that, of course, starts with the book by Tom Clancy. Uh, I had, like, a little... A little question for you guys last time, so it's not going to be a surprise. But I'm going to ask it uh, again, and I want you guys to like act like really like I don't know, just pretend like we didn't do this already. Um, so, do you guys know about Tom Clancy's military background? Like, how? Like, what do you think his military background is? Oh, he's got five star general. Hell, hell yeah, Navy SEAL, like six, 16 stars. Okay, okay, okay. What if I told you guys? Tom Clancy has never been in the military. That's just a take. <laughs> I thought you were like so bad that you slapped something. Like you punched something. No. Yeah. This is how to be doing a dry spit. <laughs> it sounds like a punch. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, yes, but Tom Clancy, uh, no no military experience, despite spending pretty much his whole career writing about uh, military organizations and former Marines and whatnot. Uh, he was a, he was a Boy Scout. His uh, father worked for the Postal Service. in In school, Tom Clancy pretty much just uh, uh, studied writing and English. Um, of course, uh, born and bred in Baltimore. What do you call a person from Baltimore? A Baltimorean? A Baltimoron? A moron. They probably don't like that. No, they probably don't. But no, he loved Baltimore. He had a huge house um, by the Chesapeake Bay and a uh, uh, partial owner of the Baltimore Orioles. So I just felt like including that in here. And then after he graduated from college in Baltimore, he uh, worked at his, I think it was his, father-in-law's um insurance company and he just wrote books in his spare time like just for fun and he wrote this uh and i guess like um it was picked up by i think it was a like a naval publisher so this seems right up their alley then 
it was something related to the Navy, and they were, like, into it. But they didn't think, like, it was, you know, this is, like, a pretty small independent publisher. But somehow, like, mm. reviews got a hold of it, and people started reading it. It became this huge, huge hit. Ronald Reagan read this book. He said it was, a <laughs> like, a good old yarn. Which, which definitely sounds like something Reagan would say. And yeah, and he went on to write a lot of books, usually about Jack Ryan. He does have another uh, character that he wrote about often that I don't know if he actually has any movies. I think the character's name is John Clark. So <laughs> only characters that have two first names. Name. Uh, the thing about John Clark is he's like Jack Ryan, but like he kills people and like, he's into it. <laughs> And um, I think we're actually getting our first John Clark movie this year, if it still comes out. Uh, there's a movie uh, based off the first John Clark book called Without Remorse. Uh, I think Michael B. Jordan is John Clark, so that'll be cool. If it comes out, we'll see. Uh, but yeah, he mostly just wrote about Jack Ryan, who's like the perfect dude. And we'll get into Jack Ryan a little bit. Okay, now I want to talk a little bit about John McTiernan. I'm going to be a little more brief here. Um well, I'll try to be anyways. So John McTiernan, mm-hmm. graduate of the AFI Conservatory in 1975. I, I'm not really sure how he got his start. Um, I don't know if he worked in commercials or what, but then suddenly in the mid-'80s, he just made like a medium-budget horror fantasy film called Nomads with Pierce Brosnan, which I have never seen and no one likes except for one person, and that one person is Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> Arnold Schwarzenegger saw Nomads and was like, I'm so impressed what they can do on such a low budget. And he's like, he wanted this guy to direct Predator. So I, I, I didn't know that Arnold had that kind of power back then, but apparently he did. He got to pick the director for Predator, and he picked John McTiernan based off of the strength of Nomads. So that's crazy that John McTiernan's career is because of Arnold Schwarzenegger. And, of course, he made Predator. Huge hit. Everybody loves it. Sci-fi classic. And then he goes right into, like, just a year later, Die Hard, man. Which I think at one point was offered to Arnold Schwarzenegger. But he's like, no. Mm-hmm. He didn't want to be a normal guy. Uh, didn't they also have to offer Die Hard to... Uh, <laughs> I know where you're going with this. If you can, Are you having trouble remembering the actor? I'm trying to remember who it is. Someone fancy. Yeah, it's... Well, it's... it's <laughs> He's fancy-ish. I know who it is. I want to see if you can is remember. It Frank Sinatra? Yes, it's Frank Sinatra. <laughs> because uh, the the book Die Hard, which is called, like, what, like, Nothing Lasts Forever, is technically a sequel to another book that was already turned into a movie in the 70s, and that movie starred uh, Frank Sinatra. I don't think the character had the same name. Um, I don't think it was John McClane. But anyways, because of that, they had to contractually or contractually obligated to ask Frank Sinatra to be in Die Hard, which would be so good. I, can you imagine? It's pretty, no, pretty you can't old imagine. By that yeah, point. he would have been in his mid to late sixties. That would have been insane. Uh, so no, didn't happen. But hey, Die Hard, huge hit. Everyone loved it. And then just a year later, he's already in production on the Hunt for Red October. And then that came out in 1990. Another huge hit. Another classic. Everybody loves it. You know, people always talk about how John McTiernan had, like, this three streak that so many directors, like, rarely ever have. Like, I couldn't think of any others. I was trying to think of other directors who had three big hits in a row. I could think of a lot of twofers. 
I don't know. Can you guys think of any directors? I know that's a tough question off the top of your head that have like like, pretty, like three big films in a row. No, I mean, this has always been my answer. Is it's John McTiernan. He's the only one. Or at least he has the best repeat. There's definitely been directors who've had three good movies in a row, but not all hits. Like, off the top of my head, William Friedkin had three great movies in the 70s, but Sorcerer, huge bomb. So, was, not really the same. I'm thinking of James Cameron. Was The Abyss before Terminator 2? It was. And okay, I think The Abyss so was... Uh, it wasn't like a huge disappointment, but it was not a huge hit. Yeah, but then you have Terminator 2, Titanic avatar or wait what was true lies true lies hit though maybe not maybe not considered maybe not like a classic and uh but it was a hit so those are all successful at least so yeah i'd say that's a pretty good it's fun going through steven spielberg's filmography because there's always like one it's like two hits and then then he's back at it again (laughs) he's had he's had like five different twofers that are hella good i mean this is a man that did jurassic park and schindler's list in the same year Insane. But then there's always like he's got to throw him. But like, what he did hook. around them was fucking hook, and then I'm stuck. <laughs> yeah, see, he's always fucking up. He's so close. Like, why did you make 1941, dude? You could have done Jaws, Close Encounters, Indiana Jones, but no, you had to fucking throw in 1941. You idiot! Oh my god, he's such an idiot, you guys. He's so stupid. Our dumbest filmmaker. <laughs> Um, one question I wanted to bring up about John McTiernan, though, and another, uh, this is this is hard to, to come up with off the top of your head, but do you think there's any stylistic touches that kind of, like, you associate with these films in John McTiernan? Like, does he have, what's his his gimmick if he has one? What's his shtick? Do you think he has one? I, I feel it's like really... he, he uses very manly close-ups. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just thinking of like the biceps, <laughs> hand, hand, <laughs> hand slap in Predator. I just think of scenes like that, or just like lots of close-ups of guys' faces being like really sweaty, like staring at screens. Hell yeah. I I th- I think it's really interesting that he made Predator and Die Hard back to back because they are obviously like Colin said, both very manly, but. They're, they're opposite approaches to being a badass man because Predator, everyone's just like over the top, like not even human. Yeah. Just, they're just walls of muscle. <laughs> and and then and Die Hard, you know, it, it, it's people consider it a landmark action film for the, the way that it treats John McClane as a, a human who is like suffering and getting his ass kicked and just like barely surviving the whole time. Yeah. You know, uh, J- Jack Ryan struck me as kind of more... Like, he's super smart, but when it came to the action sequence, he seemed like more of a regular guy, which I liked. Yeah. I he's, see some connections scared. there. Scared. Yeah. Um, I couldn't really come up with anything. The only thing I wrote down was... Um, and this is like lots of directors do this, but I like the little details that McTiernan throws in that I feel like maybe a less talented director wouldn't. Like, that great uh, bit in Die Hard about how they talk about um, rubbing your feet against the carpet to like calm you down uh-huh. and then like um these these aren't i don't know why i'm bringing these up these aren't these aren't connected anyways and i was thinking about like there like, there's a couple scenes of hunt for october is like a sliding little glass which is like a fun little trick to throw in like little things or like when bill duke's shaving in predator he's always shaving and yeah. then of course he breaks against his face but again that's nothing i really that's really nothing but they're just <laughs> Yeah, they're just like well-paced, very competent 
never boring, never feel over long. He's just a great popcorn director. And it's a shame that he never quite bounced back. I mean, he had a couple okay movies afterwards. The rest of his filmography, like I think after this, he made Medicine Man, which is a movie with Sean Connery having a stupid ponytail. Um, <laughs> Last Action Hero, which would be a great choice for the pick. I think I might pick that someday. Just because The Last Action Hero does have some really good stuff in it, but then it has some bad stuff in it, and it's also like ridiculously long. But man, that Arnold Schwarzenegger Hamlet trailer is like the funniest thing I've ever seen. Because <laughs> that's a Shane Black... I mean, I think Shane Black did a rewrite on it, or maybe it was originally his script. So there's like some really funny stuff in it. But it's just so bloated. Um, of course, then he did Die Hard with a Vengeance, which was a hit, and I like that movie. How do you guys feel about Die Hard with a Vengeance? Never seen it. Uh, it's good. What do you think, Sean? It's- it's weird because we revisit Die Hard every year, but I, I'm not even sure last time we watched Die Hard with a Vengeance. I guess I think it's fine. I like Samuel Jackson's really good in it. He's like an everyman, which I appreciate. Yeah. So he's good. Uh, then we got the Thomas Crown Affair, which is um, McTiernan's personal favorite film he ever made. Um, I've always wanted to see that. People say it's like Bond light. It's got a real Bond feel. I mean, of course, it has Pierce Brosnan. Um, and then the 13th Warrior, based off the Crichton book. Huge bomb. Disappointment. And then his career pretty much pewters out with Rollerball. Horrible movie. <laughs> no one liked it. He made one movie after that, but Rollerball was pretty much the end. Rollerball was also key to <laughs> what led to his uh, criminal investigation. I don't know if we want to go too far into this, but of course, Get John, into Mc- it. John McTiernan... Uh, notoriously hired a private investigator to uh, illegally wiretap one of the producers of Rollerball, who he thought was screwing him over. He also hired this private um, detective to wiretap his ex-wife, and um, he got caught, and then he started lying to the FBI, and he went to trial, and he lied in court. And this went on for years and years, and eventually he spent um, about a little over a year in prison. It was like, you know white collar prison but still yeah. it destroyed his career and he went bankrupt while in prison so crazy not great he's still trying to get another movie off the ground i know he was working on a sci-fi movie that he wanted to get made but uh i don't know man he's like in his late mid to late 60s probably not gonna happen uh but yeah interesting guy kind of self-imploded there near the end but had a great streak and we're gonna talk about the end of that streak <laughs> Uh, which is a movie I'd never seen, Hunt for October, but I really liked it. I guess we'll just kind of go through the plot a little bit um, and just, you know, yeah, just have fun with it. So this movie is set during the Cold War, uh, 1984, and we are following Soviet sub-captain Marco Ramius, who is Sean Connery. I don't want to already go right into a side note, but I did read something super funny. Uh, apparently, uh, Sean Connery was originally supposed to wear a ponytail in this movie. Like, he chose a ponytail toupee combo. Um, and they were shooting with it. They shot with it for a couple days. Everyone hated it, but Sean Connery's like, no, we need to shoot with this. Until um, the cinematographer, which was Jan de Bont, who went on to direct Speed, he was the cinematographer on this movie. <laughs> said, ha ha, it looks like a limp dick. 
And Sean Connery was so humiliated, he's like, okay, I don't want to use this. We'll use a different toupee. They got a different toupee, but because they had to do the reshoots, it cost them an extra $20,000. So people are always joking about this movie and how it had a $20,000 toupee because of the reshoots. Pretty funny. I'm glad they settled on a good one. He's he's got he's got sharp hair in this movie. He's looking good. Yeah. I want to see That's that limp compared dip, though. to the uh, Superman's mustache. Yeah, yeah, man. God, he's looking good. Was this around the time he was sexiest man alive too? Right? Wasn't that '89? I think. Really? Yeah. He was bald when he was the sexiest. Man. Oh yeah, he's prominently bald on that cover of uh, People. Was it People magazine? They do that. Yeah, I'm man. just googling that yeah. real quick. Oh yeah, it's uh, he's a handsome bald man. But yeah, so he, <laughs> <laughs> he looks so old. But he's sexy though, right? He's super sexy, but he's so old. <laughs> I can't you seemed, imagine. You this seemed delighted now. to see how old he looked. <laughs> well, I was caught off guard by the fact that he'd shaved off his beard and he just has a mustache. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, so he's Marco Ramius. Um, he's given command of the Red October, which is a Typhoon-class nuclear missile submarine with a stealth caterpillar drive, which makes it undetectable to passive sonar. Um, and so they head out to sea, and Ramius uh, kills his political officer. Do you guys remember what that political officer's name was? It's pretty funny. <laughs> I, d- I don't. His name is Ivan Putin, which is hilarious. Though I uh, guess Putin yeah. wasn't really like a thing yet, right? So, was he? Not really. Was he a f- any kind of public figure at this point? Or is that just a funny thing in I retrospect? Doubt it. He would have been I mean, pretty I know, It's I know funny he was now. a member of the KGB. Okay. It's just Soviet funny era, that there's a but, guy named yeah. Putin who's like an asshole who's only loyal to the Soviet government, so enjoyed that and um so yeah he oh before he kills this guy though i should bring this up because this is interesting to me uh i believe it's the political officer putin who's reading like a bible passage and these guys are all speaking russian and i was like wait how's this gonna work sean connery can't make it through a whole movie speaking russian i didn't know this movie too well so i didn't know what's going on and he's reading this bible passage and he gets to the word armageddon and then, which is the same in Russian and English. Mm-hmm. And then the whole rest, or at least a good chunk of the rest of the movie, they're speaking English. And I wasn't sure how I felt about that. And I have a question for you guys. Now, not counting this movie, which of these do you generally prefer in American-made movies that star foreign language characters? You've got three options here. <laughs> okay, that the characters speak English with no accent, like in Valkyrie. That they speak English with an accent, like Schindler's List, where they're using German accents, but they're all speaking English. Or that all the characters speak their native language, like in Letters from Iwo Jima. Do you have a preference when it comes to any of those? Maybe you don't. I think it depends on who you're casting. Like, in this case, I'm not interested in these actors speaking in Russian for an entire movie. If you cast a a Russian cast, I then yeah, let him speak in, in Russian. Um, so for me, it really comes down to what I preferred if they did accents or not in this movie. And in this movie, I can't imagine Sean Connery doing a 
Russian accent, so I guess I prefer the way they did it. I couldn't tell, though, if they were, like, trying to do Russian accents in this movie. It seemed like it, if they were, but it was very subtle. Yeah. Now... Which I'm not... Uh, also, to answer your question, I mean, yeah, I think I would prefer people speaking in their native language, but, sure. like, also, you want it to be, like, actors from that country, not American actors, like, speaking Russian. Like, <laughs> I don't really have any interest in that. Like, it's all about authenticity in that sure. regard, if, if you're gonna go full foreign language, like, get actual foreign language actors. Um... I think my second choice would be just people doing no accents because it's like it's it's already bullshit anyways if they're not speaking the language so why why fake it? Um, I kind of like Johnny, the accents. Yeah, <laughs> John, you didn't include the fourth worst option. Yeah. Have everyone do a British accent for no reason. Oh, like they do you're in right. Like every like Greek thing or yeah, like like Gladiator, like Joaquin <laughs> Phoenix has a British accent in Gladiator. And you're like, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> or yeah, everyone in Gladiator has a British accent. What the fuck? Um, yeah, I, I kind of like when they do the accents because I'm a I'm a dummy, and it's like I'm convinced this is in that country. <laughs> but what I the reason I said not counting Red October is because yeah, it kind of does all three, which is kind of fun because you know we get to see them speak their native language, and Sean Connery isn't really doing an accent, even though I feel like I read he's trying to. <laughs> he doesn't sound like he is at all. But then Sam Neill hella doing a Russian accent. So you get a little bit of taste of everything. So having a good time there. And I actually really liked this movie kind of mixing it up like that. It was clever. I didn't think it was clever till the end, and I'll bring that up when we get to the end. Um, but yeah, it was interesting. It was an interesting way to go about it. Uh, so back to the story a little bit. Um, Ramius, after he kills uh, Putin, relays false orders that they are to conduct missile drills off the east coast of America. Um, but like, it's cool. It's cool because like we don't really know his motivations right off the bat. Like, I again, I hadn't seen this movie, so I wasn't really sure what was like going through his head, like what his plans were. And that's kind of like the whole thrust of the movie is like so many people are like, "What's this guy gonna do?" Except Jack yeah, Ryan. What is he gonna do? And I love that. That's he just makes him like so much more complex. And it's I think a great performance from Connery too. Um, let's see. Okay, so as the Red October is making its way out of Soviet territory, it is detected by the USS Dallas, um, which is a American Los Angeles-based sub. It's out there, and uh, I think it's it's Courtney B. Vance who's like the sonar like master who picks it up. I don't remember how he picks it up. He just he's like he's so good at sonar. He notices all the little in- intricacies and, and differences that he. Uh, he detects it, even though it has this caterpillar drive. Um, yeah, uh, yeah, he uh, he has a recording of a weird sound that he's like everyone else would have dismissed as as just being like a fish or something, but he notices that if you speed up that sound, there's a mechanical rhythm to it. So it's yeah. like that's that's a ship, that's a boat. That's legit. And this also, uh, I will say, yeah. the USS Dallas is a Los Angeles class okay. submarine, not Los Angeles based. I, they're in the Atlantic Ocean. I'm just throwing words together. Um, <laughs> also, Scott Glenn is on this boat. He's yeah. the captain. He's the captain. Scott Glenn, 
uh, favorite of the pick because he was also in training day. And also in that great picture where he's wielding a knife. <laughs> you in don't know stark what black about, and white. What we're talking about. Everyone go Google uh, Scott Glenn knife. You're going to like what you see. Uh, but yeah, the, uh, the USS Dallas, they detect their October and they uh, send this news back to America. And then back to America, we meet CIA analyst and former Marine Jack Ryan, Mr. Alec Baldwin. And they're going to put his expertise to use. Uh, what is his background exactly? He's like a nerd that writes books, right? That's right. He was, we learned later, he was in a helicopter accident while he was a Marine and uh, had to go through a lengthy recovery process. And that made him switch into being like a CIA historian. He also has a scene with one of the only like two women in the entire movie. <laughs> A flight stewardess, and who's the other one? Would like his wife or something? His wife, Gates McFadden from Star Trek. Yeah, yeah. Not, not that I know what you're talking about. <laughs> Here's a weird thing. I was going to bring this up. Okay. Yeah. I talked about Star Trek Picard. Yeah. Picard's best friend was Doctor Beverly Crusher. Like they had a sort of will they, won't they relationship. And she is not in Picard. What the fuck, mm-hmm. you guys? Everyone's acting like his best friend's data. It's like, no, his best friend's Crusher. Anyway. I'm sorry. I'm sorry that you're happy. Oh, you're going for, through you that right now. You have my condolences. <laughs> for Gates McFadden's all. Okay. Well, there's still time, right? She could still show up, huh? Yeah? Season two. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Um, everyone's afraid Ramus has gone rogue. Nation. Uh <laughs> <laughs> Just felt right to say, uh, but Jack Let's not get into Jack Reacher. <laughs> but Jack thinks he's going to defect. Um, also, other Russian subs are pursuing the Red October to take down Ramius. So it's like a game of cat and mouse and bomb, cat and mouse and I don't know something. Uh, let's see. Should we go? Should we go back to Jack Ryan, or should we go back to the guys on the Red October? I'll, go, I'll stick with the October for a little bit, and then we'll talk more about Jack Ryan. So they're having their struggles because they do discover there is a saboteur on board, um, which leads its caterpillar drive to malfunction, which means the Dallas can find a way to track the Red October with, like, I don't know, acoustics or some bullshit. Some tech bullshit that Tom Clancy's probably jerking off to. <laughs> I don't know how accurate any of this is. I think it probably is, like, pretty clever and accurate because i did read about some like naval agency like after this movie came out being like how come we didn't know about this caterpillar drive what's this tom clancy no it's like <laughs> he just made it up okay <laughs> calm down um oh yeah so i guess we could go back to jack and he meets meets up with his bro james Earl jones what's james Earl jones do he's just his, so he uh, he plays greer greer who okay. is a admiral uh and he's he's like in the he's like what a situation room guy so he's like there to like liaise between the president and the military so he's like super important yeah he's also working closely with that character that richard jordan plays pelt 
and I don't know. He's like another government guy. They're all government guys. I don't know what any of these guys are. I don't care. Though I do think it's funny that Richard Jordan, who is the most generic, boring white guy, uh, was Duncan Idaho in Dune. And we're reading Dune right now in our Dune book club. And it's just funny because Jason Momoa is playing Duncan Idaho in the new <laughs> Dune movie. My man. So I kept telling Sean, like, now every time when we're watching the movie, I just imagine Jason Momoa, like, at this desk playing this character in Hunt for Red October. <laughs> Talking to Jack Ryan. He's got like a nice man bun going. Yeah, on. he's like in a suit. Glasses. And he's like kind of bulging out. Yeah. Um. And they have that that kind of debriefing meeting where Jack Ryan is talking to all the government dudes. He's met Ramius before at like some sort of party thing. I don't know, but he knows him. He knows he's a good dude. And he also knows that he's sad because he's got a dead wife. Um. And he points out that the the date of like him like going rogue nation is uh like the anniversary of his wife's death so he kind of puts together all these pieces and he's trying to convince everybody that yeah he's um not uh going rogue nation that he's trying to leave the soviet union they're like i don't know man that thing is got some big ass bomb nuke shit this is exactly how the scene goes down, by the way. Exactly how everyone's talking. Yeah, it's not like a shitload of nukes, right? Like, yeah. so many goddamn nukes. So, I mean, they have reason to be afraid. But Jack Ryan, like, he's he knows. Well, he doesn't know, but he's like, he's got a good feeling. He's got like a 50-50 feeling about it. I love how, like, Jack Ryan's thing is that he's the smartest guy in the room. But in this movie, he still admits that, like, all the time he's just guessing. He's just making educated guesses. Yeah. He's just trying his best. Um, so he does convince those fat cats in Washington to fly him out to the USS Dallas. Um, so he can convince the captain of the Dallas that Ramius is defecting and not waging war. And that's a pretty cool scene. When he's on the helicopter and he's trying to land on the sub. I read they filmed that in a parking lot, and I was like, what? That's pretty impressive. Didn't seem like a parking lot in the movie. I don't know how that works. Looks pretty cool to me. Because that's what I kept thinking about, like, you know, going into this movie. Like, how the fuck are they going to get him on a submarine? Like, how do you get on a submarine? It just seems like one of those things that's, like, an impossible task to me. So that was pretty fun. Are we skipping over the part where he goes to the Enterprise? Oh, you mean the big... uh, airstrip boat yeah the aircraft carrier <laughs> yeah, clearly i know so much about the military <laughs> the airstrip boat yeah with uh fred thompson yeah your favorite captain For, of them all former president former president not former president, <laughs> former president fred he is up in my head uh for a presidential candidate fred thompson also from die hard 2 and uh, sinister Usually played these kind of like stuffy, not stuffy, just like no nonsense military dudes. What did you want to talk about at this scene, Sean? Just a Fred Thompson. Just Fred Thompson. Yeah, it's 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 weird that Fred Thompson is a thing. He's a weird person because this dude tried to be president and he's just in like all these action movies. It's really weird. <laughs> also, he's good just too. Throw in an explosion for no reason. Oh yeah, there's like a a, a jet that crashes on the ship. Yeah. I guess it's to, sh- to show how high the stakes are, that they're like running these drills in case of nuclear attack, and this pilot crashes and dies. Yeah. 
I think that was like real footage too, which is fucked up if true. Uh, but it is cool. Uh, and yeah, and then Jack Ryan getting on the USS Dallas. You guys like you guys like that part? Isn't that cool? I like that he early on in the movie they set up that he's scared of turbulence and he just gets on more and more scary flights as the movie goes on. See, culminating it's, in this one, it's bits like that why I appreciate. Like he's a lot like John McClane. That's why I really like this take on Jack Ryan. I was really surprised because not ever having seen a movie with Jack Ryan, I always just thought he was like the ultimate badass, like that he probably knew like jujitsu or something and was like, but no, like this is like, makes him just seem more like a regular guy who is really smart thrust into a dangerous situation. Like what is Jack Ryan like in other Jack Ryan movies? Is he more of an action hero in these other movies? You've seen some of them, Sean. Yeah. Yeah, he is. (laughs) He's a badass. Like he, like they never take away that he's like uh, super smart and he's a great problem solver, but he he does a lot more killing later on. Okay. Yeah, I mean, what's that one? What's that one called? Jack Ryan was like Shadow Recruit. Is that Shadow what Recruit? Yeah. What the hell is going on there? You seen that one? I've not seen that one. I okay. don't know anything. About, I mean, I know it's Chris Pine. It's not even a Kevin book. Costner's in it. It's not even one of the books. Hmm. I don't know what the fuck. But he just seems like the ultimate badass. We're here. He's just like he's more like a regular guy, which I appreciate. Um, I guess I'm like going through this pretty quick. But the next thing that I remember is when like um, part of Ramius's plan. Um, you know, there's been some cool stuff that's happened that I'm kind of skimming over, like some cool maneuvering under the sea, under the sea, through the trench. Yeah, the trench. That's a cool bit. The, I think they did um, a lot of the underwater scenes with um, miniatures, and I think it looks pretty good. So, props, man. It's cool to see miniatures at work. But yeah, uh, the, the part I remember next is when he um, fakes a nuclear reactor emergency on the Red October to get most of the crew off and safe. Um, and then as that's going on, because they're they've emerged from the water. Uh, Jack Ryan and the gang find a way to latch onto their sub. That fucking blew my mind. That, like, dude, they're going from one sub to another sub? Is that even possible? And there's that great bit where they open the hatch, and uh, the guys are speaking Russian. It's like, cause, oh yeah, because they're Russian. That's fun. I know I'm going through this pretty quick. Is there anything I've missed so far that you guys really like? I didn't talk about uh, Sam Neill's little bit about how he loves Montana. <laughs> That was fun. There's, there's the part before they go on board where, um, where Ryan is trying to convince Scott Glenn that they shouldn't attack Ramius. Yeah. Um, and so they like they're getting in attack position, they're getting ready to fire, and he's like, "Check it out, he's gonna bank starboard or something like." Oh that. yeah, 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 yeah. And he does, and he's like, "God damn it, this, this." Jack Ryan guy's got all figured out. And then they ask him, how do you know he's going to do that? And he's like, I, I just guessed. I it was, a, it was a fucking guess. He didn't even know. Oh. He's fucking stone cold badass. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Love me some Jack Ryan. And that's, uh, um, I like after that too, they, uh, 
they like both surface and they communicate periscope to periscope and Jack Ryan writes out these like lengthy sentences for Scott Glenn to send, <laughs> which yeah, I guess yeah. he's sending in English to Sean Connery, and he's able to just see these flashes of light in the distance and decode these massive long sentences in real time in a, in a language that is his second language. But he's getting it, right? It seems like he's getting it. Yeah, he gets the whole thing, and that's what gives him the idea to... Uh, to make the crew disembark the way he does. I was wondering if that blinking light thing was more of like some sort of universal language, but he, I don't know. Where there's nothing. Uh, yeah, I um, wonder how if Morse code is if everyone has to learn Morse code in English. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that is a cool scene. But yeah, it's like wow. I don't know. I'm pretty impressed. I mean, Sean Connery is like the best captain in the world. So there you go. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, they board the Red October, and there's that great scene where everything's super tense between the two crews, and they're trying to find common ground, and we find out that Jack Ryan can speak a little Russian, because uh, he's like, you gotta know your enemy, and Sean Connery is like, yeah, I know what you're saying, and he's like, he can speak English too, so you're like, oh, fuck, he knows what's going on. And They also, they pay off another recurring thing, uh, where, it, like, every time... Uh, Jack Ryan meets a group of people. Someone offers him a cigarette, and he always turns it down. And he says he doesn't smoke. And uh, and when they when he gets on the submarine, he asks for a cigarette from one of the Russians, and he like coughs, and he has a ter- terrible time smoking it, and everyone laughs at him. <laughs> so, so like eases the tensions. Yeah. Then they have some conversation too about like a book. I don't remember. Yeah, he wrote he 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 had read one. Uh, Ramius had read one of ryan's uh ca history books about a submarine captain and ramus is like all your conclusions were wrong (laughs) that's great because like this one guy he's like he's got like one guy's got street smarts the other guy book smarts and they're coming together so it's cool oh yeah street i guess we're just gonna say like some of street smarts smarts. c smarts yeah but it's the same thing yeah but they're having like this this moment. They're they're getting to know each other, and then the fucking saboteur shows up and fucking shoots Sam Neil right in the chest. I was so sad. That was like the saddest thing ever. Cause he's like a likable guy. He's uh, he's Ramius's right hand man, and he's just like I would like to have seen the Montana. <laughs> and I'm like crying, <laughs> man. I hate Isn't it. Isn't that crazy? That's all you had to do to make this character sympathetic. Is give him one thing and take it away from him. I think they do a good job of like making this crew likable. I mean, except for like Putin and Tim Curry isn't very likable, but nobody likes him on the ship. Yeah, but Tim Curry's great because he's with he, he's the point of view for the the crew watching the fake battle go on, and they're like cheering for the, for Ramius. Yeah, without that's realizing true. That they're getting fucked by him. It's great. Yeah, this movie does a good job of making you care about a, like all the characters they all are likable and have their own little unique things about them which is appreciated so um jack pursues the um the saboteur uh and that's kind of a fun sequence because it's sloppy they're running through the bowels of the ship and he clearly you know he's a former marine but this isn't really his expertise certainly not shooting around on a submarine um and as they're doing that, the Red October is being pursued by uh, the enemy sub, which I haven't even mentioned so far, is uh, uh, Stellan Skarsgård is the captain of. Um, didn't realize he was working this far back. 
I can't remember if he's doing an accent. I think he's trying to do one. What else has he got yeah. going on? Uh, and that's a great. That's super fun. I'm not sure which of these to conclude first. I'll go conclude with the uh, the pursuing the saboteur because that has a fun reveal. Uh, what's the line exactly? Like it's the cook. I don't know. It's just funny. Yeah. He finds it is, out. It's the cook. It, yeah. Who I'd forgotten, but you pointed out was the one who saw the like a murder had probably happened yeah. early on. He was one of the witnesses after Putin had died. It's like we need a witness, and we had. He was one of the witnesses. So he was like, "This is some bullshit. I gotta sabotage this place. Sabotage. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in a lot of trouble with that word right now." <laughs> I thought it was interesting, too, because it made me think of uh, that movie. I haven't seen it, but Under Siege with uh, Steven Seagal. Because isn't, like, the special thing about that movie is it's, like, a sub being taken over. And it's, like, and there's only one person who can stand up to the terrorist. The cook. So many sub movies in the 90s. So (laughs) Like, when was the last time a sub movie came out and people were excited about it? I can't think of any. It's really weird. Yeah, that's crazy, right? You got you got these and you got Crimson Tide and you got U five seven one. Got K nineteen like the Widowmaker. K nineteen the Widowmaker. Yeah, we're peaking a little bit in the two thousands. But yeah, this general period of time, this was like a whole genre of film. And of course before this there's Das Boot. Mm-hmm. Um, but it seems like Hunford October is what made it more popular in America. It's like, hey, we can just do like put some guys in a set and Down make a little sub. <laughs> oh my god gotta love down periscope yeah. he's got a tattoo on his dick that's uh that's a joke in that movie he's got a tattoo on his dick that's all i remember that's my takeaway that's my review of down periscope he's got a tattoo <laughs> on his dick. <laughs> how many stars do you give it with that review or is it two stars two star- solid two stars okay just for that joke i don't remember anything else at the movie two-star mm-hmm. joke uh yeah so yeah he gets to pursue the cook and fight him and he shoots him and it's great because it really it doesn't there's nothing slick or cool about any of it it's very tense it's very well shot and even like when he like finally decides to shoot him there's definitely like some hesitancy there in doing it you know he doesn't do it and then say like a cool one-liner at least not that i remember uh no, he does a Sean Connery impression, though. Oh, what does he Remember do? that? No. He, I, he, you know, it's just like, you know, be careful what you shoot. He, he, it's, I, just, I think it's really interesting that he does a perfect Sean Connery impression, having, like, in, in the context of this movie, only talked to him for a minute. But he's, like, already figured it out. He's already got it down. Yeah. Well, you know, smart just, guy though. He's a smart dude. That Jack Ryan. Super smart. Yeah. He's a nerd. Um, and yeah. Meanwhile, Ramius, uh, he's uh, commanding the sub. Um, they're trying to avoid That's some. Not tr- true. What? Oh, Scott Glenn. Scott Glenn is commanding the sub. Ramius gets shot. Oh yes. Okay. Uh, but that's a great sequence. But isn't he like? telling him what to do they they because he commanded when oh, they yeah. got the first um to, to have the first torpedo miss him because he kind of knew what they were going to do 
Right. Um, like he so had he... the move just at the time when the heat seeking missile would lock on. Like right. So, so it's it's, it's in it's in three acts. We have the Ramius commanding and making Jack Ryan drive the ship for some reason. <laughs> hey, he is, he's he the least now. qualified person <laughs> to drive this boat. That's um, and then the, during the gunfight, Scott Glenn is the captain. Okay. And then you're right. He comes back out and becomes the captain again. Dude, and then there's that fucking sweet part where they shoot the torpedo and they're using their evasive maneuvering and somehow they like end up making it so the torpedo like Stellan Skarsgård gets hit by his own torpedo. That is yeah. hilarious. And it's badass. It's cool. It's a tall fuck you maneuver. Yeah, that's what they call it. The fuck you maneuver. The F the F U. Uh because oh, they have the, they have this problem that the Americans can't fire on a uh, Russian sub because they're not at war with Russia. Oh yeah. Uh, and so it's like, well, how are they going to get out of this one? By making him shoot himself. Genius. Hella cool. Uh, but I, it seems like everyone above the water thinks Ramius was hit, right? Don't they think he's dead? Yeah, because yeah. they don't know that the other sub is there. So the the right. Russians think that the Americans have been shooting at um, the Red October the whole time, and so when they see the big ass explosion from underwater, like oh man, so sad. Is this what kind of Ramius? What, is this kind of what Ramius wanted though? Like to fake his own death? Did he want to be like off the radar in that way? Was this part of his plan? Right. Yeah. Yeah, his idea was to fake scuttling the ship because of the nuclear leak. Oh yeah. Radiation thing. So that was, yeah, he wants people to think he's dead. Um, and then there's that, uh, God, right then, there's that scene on, like, crappy green or blue screen or something uh, with Jack Ryan and Ramius, um, on, like, sailing around talking about fishing. Yeah. Uh, and that's, it's, like, a nice scene, but I hate how it's shot. It looks terrible. <laughs> but it's, uh, it's a great scene, though, between the two of them. It's a simple kind of man. Yeah, they they talk about how they both learned how to fish from their grandfather. Their grandfathers, they don't have the same grandfather. That would be a twist. Mm -hmm. Uh, Some nice bonding. And yeah, that's like a great way to end like a manly dude movie with some just man-on-man bonding. Yeah, just guys being dudes. Just guys being being dudes. (laughs) And that's it. And like, it's funny, while describing this movie, it seemed to go by so quick... And, like, this movie does, like, move, but it's not, like, a short movie, which I think is one of the things that's so impressive about it is it's never boring. There's always something exciting going on. And then you just I agree. It's it. never boring. Do you agree, Colin? No, I was bored by this movie. <gasps> no! <laughs> this is a movie I had seen before, and I remember it being, like, solid. And I still think it's, like solid but when you, you picked it last week and sean's like oh it's so fucking good and i was like eh, maybe it's better than i remembered <laughs> and then i watched it again i was like no this is just like fine i guess i don't know it just feels a little too like like i know that most cold war things are inherently kind of cold in tone usually but, like, this movie also has the added thing of, like, feeling 
I don't know, a little mechanical because it gets so like caught up in the specifics of military <laughs> warfare, but military warfare that doesn't really involve a lot of fighting. And I'm just like, I don't know. I just, I just there was there wasn't like a hook for me here. Like I didn't really get into any of the characters. I wish there had been a little more of Sean Connery's backstory. Like I don't know. Like I wish the movie had gone into detail a little more. Like I didn't really get that much of a sense of why he was defecting. Like, they have the one scene between him and Sam Neill, which is nice, where he, he kind of says that uh, his wife died when he was at sea, and that's that's fine. It gives me enough, but I don't know. There's just too well, much. Well, he also talks about he yeah. uh, he misses the idea of peace, right? He, he says that the Red October represents this, like, never-ending stalemate between the United States and Russia, mm-hmm. and... And he wants to to go back to peacetime. He's not into the forever war. Sure. I I think you're right that it is cold in that this is like a story where it's about like hyper competent people all being hyper competent. Yeah, like I I do like the last like half hour to forty five minutes of the movie where it does like actually become an action movie, but the rest of it does kind of drag for me because not that much happens and there isn't enough like character stuff for me to really like get into all the the macho militariness of the movie for lack of a better term now i guess i agree with some of that like Mm -hmm. For Ramius, I had enough for his motivation because I feel like if you had any more, then the movie wouldn't have moved as slickly as it did. And that's one of the things I like about it is that it just moves. It doesn't have any fat. Like, it's a slick thriller. Yeah. Um, and as for, like, it feeling cold, I don't know. I feel like Jack Ryan is, like, a pretty human, feely, a pretty, like, relatable character that you don't usually get in this kind of action movie. So I appreciated that personally. Like, I like Jack Ryan a lot. He reminds me a lot of John McClane. So I think that was another uh, reason I enjoyed it so much is I really like that character because right when this movie ended, I was like, oh, man, I'm so sad there isn't like more Alec Baldwin Jack Ryan adventures because I love this <laughs> character so much. We go literally go right into Harrison Ford. And I guess the reason for that was is they wanted Harrison Ford for this movie, but he asked for too much money. And then mm. when it came around to doing the next movie – Alec Baldwin asked for more money, and they're like, hell, for that much money, we could get Harrison Ford. So they just got Harrison Ford. Now, Sean, you've seen the Harrison Ford movies. How does the Harrison Ford Jack Ryan compare? You know, he's, like I said, he's, he's gruffer, he's more violent, he, he's, he's just more Harrison Fordy. Uh, I think Harrison Ford is is in that same class of action hero that that Bruce Willis is, where he's really good at playing that he's like in over his head or that he's in pain. Like, haven't we talked about or someone's talked about like how there's Harrison Ford has an iconic like I've just been punched in the face <laughs> look. Yeah. But what's weird to me is, so Hunt for October is Tom Clancy's first book. It is the first Jack Ryan adventure. 
And in this movie, Jack Ryan, he's smart, but he kind of feels like a greenhorn. He doesn't entirely know what he's doing. He's still kind of figuring things out. And it feels mm-hmm. weird in Jack Ryan's second movie adventure to replace him with a man 18 years his senior <laughs> who seems like he's more close to retiring than starting out. That's my issue with mm-hmm. Harris. I haven't seen those movies, but it seems like it would be weird to go from a guy who's just starting out to now like a guy who's like middle-aged. So that seems uh, disappointing. I, I think I think he's actually like retired <laughs> in the next one. I wonder how old Jack Ryan was supposed to be in the book. It makes me think that Alec Baldwin was probably playing younger than the character was supposed to be. Because I think, what's that second uh, Jack Ryan movie? That's Patriot Games? And I think that is, again, one of um, Tom Clancy's earlier jack ryan books so i i wouldn't be surprised if jack ryan was already supposed to be like in his maybe mid 40s in the hunt for red october and they got alec baldwin who's like 33 or two or something fair pretty young not much older than we are now <laughs> really makes you feel like shit you're like man jack ryan's accomplished so much more than i have at this point in my life uh but yeah like i love the movie and it made me disappointed that we didn't get more alec baldwin jack ryan adventures because, uh, like, yeah, where do you go from this? I don't know. I guess I can try out those other ones. Do you think it's worth my time to check out Patriot Games and Clear and Present Danger? I think so. I don't think they're as good as this one. James Earl Jones is in them. Okay. But then I don't need to see The Sum of All Fears, right? I've never seen The Sum of All Fears. Okay. I know it was a hit when it came out. I remember the summer it came out. It was playing everywhere. But I was like, this looks boring as hell. <laughs> And I literally zero interest in the Jack Ryan TV show with John Krasinski because it seems like they're trying to make him be the ultimate badass, and I don't care. Uh, but yeah. Would you guys ever be interested in just watching every Ben Affleck movie? <laughs> A little bit. Everyone? There's There's some 90, 90s ones in there where I'm like, what was what's going on with that movie? I, I feel like between the three of us, we have an odd fascination with changing lanes. Changing lanes. <laughs> <laughs> which is a movie with uh, where uh ben affleck and samuel L. jackson get into a car accident and it like fucks up each other's lives and then they're like super pissed and seek vengeance at each other uh yeah, that seems should, pretty good we should probably watch that sometime yeah we changing lanes changing we should definitely lanes. watch that the trailer made it seem pretty intense so there you go hunt for it october um sean i really like it colin thinks it's fine but yeah you it should is. check it out it's fine 30th anniversary uh, what's going on right now? Uh, Sean, do we have any Sean's goofs for this episode? I just remembered I was supposed to do that. I'm loading up IMDb right While now. While Sean's doing that, here's a, a segment I've done once. It's called John's Crazy Credits. Okay, Crazy Credits, guys. Hunt for it, October. Did you know this movie opens up with the title card in Russian and then turns to English? Oh. That's John's crazy credits. Uh, there isn't a good there isn't a good villains wiki for this particular episode. Um, there are entries for both the cook and Putin, <laughs> and for some reason, somebody mistakenly wrote on Putin's villains wiki that his name is Vladimir Putin, which it is not, <laughs> and that his hobby is spying on people. <laughs> I do have some more um, Clancy facts as well, I'll call them, that I want to 
I want to end this with um, once Sean gets his goofs. I don't know. Do you still need some time, Sean? Uh, when Jonesy is playing the recording at 10 times speed, the volume knob on the tape player is in the off position. Ah, <laughs> 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 uh, What an asshole. I really hope someone got fired over that. Got him. All right. That's good. Yeah. Um, if you have any others, feel free to share them. But if not, I can move ahead. <laughs> there are so many. Oh, I assume like I, all the military nerds came out and be like, actually, the SS-71 does not have the capabilities. <laughs> there are 138 goofs logged on IMDb. Fuck. I mean, there's a lot of made-up technology in this movie. So I mean, yeah, you want, you want to hear some military ones? Yeah, yeah give me one. Lay it on me. Konovalov is shown to include petty officers and seamen, but a real Alpha-class submarine <laughs> is crewed entirely by officers. Uh, you think Tom Clancy wrote that one? <laughs> After the Red October is called a rope, so the question is asked. <laughs> so like people can't think that I actually think that that part would be in that boat. The question is asked when it will be able to fire missiles to, on the U.S. We're told three days when it's off the coast of the U.S. Given that Typhoon-class SSBNs carry the R-39 RFI, RAFM intercontinental ballistic missile with a range of over 8,000 kilometers, the answer given is off by a factor of 10. The Typhoons could launch from the dock of the former USSR and hit the United States. Hmm. Okay. Wow. John. <laughs> Please talk. That's only, that's only two of 38. Yeah. Good God. Man, John McTiernan must have been pretty embarrassed when he found that out. <laughs> the SH-60 lifting off the Reuben James is shown carrying an orange torpedo. A torpedo's color indicates the torpedo's purpose. An orange torpedo indicates that it is a dummy torpedo, and as such, it has no explosive warhead. Thus, the torpedo could not explode, as shown when the Admiral pressed the self-destruct button. Wow. Uh... I can't believe they did that. Yeah, Jesus, what a bunch of fucking numbskulls. Um, Admiral Painter tells Jack that if he needs him or Captain Davenport, they'll be in the CIC. However, in aircraft carriers, that area would be called the CDC. Oh. Uh, yes, like in Contagion. Okay. That's the Combat Direction Center as opposed to the Combat Information Center. <laughs> Okay, thanks. Um, that was that's insane that there's so much of that. Yeah. Uh, but it's interesting to somebody. Uh, but thanks somebody. for sharing. Appreciate that. Uh, so yeah, I wanted to close this conversation with um, a segment on Tom Clancy's conservatism. Because uh, I find that interesting when there's someone who's a prominent figure, who's like a creative person, who's a Republican. And I really wanted to know if Tom Clancy would have been a Trump fan. Because <laughs> I can't really tell. And I actually found a really interesting thread on Quora, of all places, which usually isn't filled with intelligent conversation. But I don't know. I mean, every once in a while, it can be like the thinking man's Yahoo answers. And I found this great thread where people are talking about it. And here's um, a forum post by a guy who says his name's David. <laughs> And uh, here's his response to what he thought um, Tom Clancy would have thought of Trump. So he said, uh, Clancy spoke highly of uh, Colin Powell, who left the GOP. He basically called Paul Wolfowitz a piece of shit. He didn't like Obama by any means, but said he gave a good speech. 
So I don't know if it's easy to pigeonhole his views, thinking about what his views on Donald Trump would be, and basing on the assumption that he would go pro-military. I think he would have hated Donald Trump, primarily because Donald Trump has been highly critical of the intelligence community. So that's interesting. Yeah. yeah. Sounds like Tom Clancy, he's more of the old school Republican. He probably wouldn't have liked Trump. He probably would have liked some weird fringe conservative. Um, but you never know. Like, he was getting a little more eccentric as the years went on with his views because he's getting richer and richer and older and older. Because <laughs> I hear early, like, young Tom Clancy isn't super conservative. So, I don't know. And then, this is, this is I really like this. Someone uh, in the same thread, his name's Peter Hand, he says he's a registered independent, came up with an idea uh, for a Tom Clancy book based around the 2016 election. And it's fucking great. And I want to share this. And I don't know if he like took a pre-existing plot of a Tom Clancy book and just threw in some Trump stuff, but this is quite this is quite a yarn, I'll say. Um, so here he goes. Um, if he was writing a novel about the 2016 election, he would have let Trump get almost all the way to inauguration before he, Trump, was assassinated by a decorated naval officer who was temporarily blinded by grief after his daughter had been killed by a truck while fleeing Trump's pussy-grabbing hands. The assassin would escape and remain unidentified, but then overcome with righteous remorse, he would go to the Pentagon and turn himself into the highest-ranking admiral. The admiral would cover it up, fake the assassin's suicide, and provide him with a new identity. Following a three-year overseas posting dealing with Islamic terrorists posing as Mexican drug smugglers, the assassin would be brought home in time for the 2020 campaign, run for president on an independent third-party ticket, and win. But that would be for the follow-up. Don't miss the next New York Times number one bestseller, The Last Trump. That is insane, but that sounds exactly like a Tom Clancy book, and that is hilarious. That also sounds like the plot of Homeland, season one. Hmm, <laughs> interesting. But this sounds like... Homeland, this returning sounds like quite the read. this weekend. Jesus Christ, I can't believe it's that still show's on. still on. Let me, let me check when this... I, it's the last season. Uh, season eight feels like it premieres. was a cultural phenomenon 20 years ago <laughs> season eight premiere oh it premiered in february so it's going right now we're about halfway through its final season great yeah um yeah i think that pretty much wraps about up about everything i said about tom I have to say about tom clancy oh also i didn't point out the reason he was not in the military was because he had really bad vision which is why he always wore those thick tinted shades his whole life of course, he passed away in 2013. Um, but that didn't stop his <laughs> material. Didn't yeah, There's still books that say Tom Clancy such and such. There's hella video games. He's just like a he's a brand now. Mm-hmm. It is very it's weird. It, the books are what the games don't. I don't find is weird. The books are really weird. That Wait, so are does like it Tom. just say that they're written by him, even though they're not? It'll say, like, Tom Clancy's, I don't know, let's come up with a thriller name. Come up with a thriller name. Gunmaster. Okay. Tom Clancy's Gunmaster. And then probably in small font, it'll say, like, by such and such. <laughs> but it'll say Tom Clancy in huge letters. The book might as well be called Tom Clancy. It's called Tom Clancy's Gunmaster. It, we, need uh, a, we need another word. It can't just be Gunmaster. It's got to be, like, the Gunmaster paradigm. There, that's, there you go. <laughs> Okay. And it's about like an ex CIA operative who is an alcoholic, and you know it's just like a bunch of generic bullshit. Yeah, but at the he's being tracked down by like the most confident, smartest guy ever. 
he's like a lawyer now, but he used to be a Navy SEAL. <laughs> and his name is Mike Steve. <laughs> <laughs> A very unusual last name, <laughs> Steve. But that's the thing; they're always guys with two first names, John Clark and Jack Ryan. That's his gimmick. Uh, but yeah, John, you're gonna—you have the power of the pick. What are we watching? Next yeah, fuck episode? it. Let's watch Changing Lanes. It's on Amazon Prime. <laughs> Did you have a different pick lined up before yeah, we started s- talking uh, about changing lanes or are you saving I'll that save for, it for later time? okay yeah let's just watch changing lanes all right okay that sounds like fun changing lanes i wonder if there's any other connections aside from the fact that J- one it was a uh had worked with john mctiernan and the other uh was a future jack ryan mm. that'll be fun okay great so uh yeah we'll see you for changing lanes <laughs> Uh, yeah. You can check out the pick on mildlyplease.com. You can also go to iTunes and search Mildly Please and find the pick along with other podcasts. And um, we'll see you next time. And uh, welcome to the No World, Captain. Oh,